You're listening to Extra Textual. This is a show where we talk about an idea, concept, theme, trend, and relate it to some kind of media like film, TV, video games, books, music, and hopefully discover something about ourselves or our culture along the way. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Extra Textual. This is Eli Steenledge, and with me is... Jeremy Holiday. And on this episode, we are talking about inspiration. Uh, so we kind of base this uh, week's theme off of sort of a request from a listener, uh, which Jeremy's going to talk about a little bit. Sure. When I came around. One of our um, avid listeners, a very good friend of mine named Marcy, my BFF, uh, had heard us talk numerous times on the show about how uh, various movies influenced us or how we were influenced uh, by certain films and mm-hmm. how certain aspects of films or media were inspirations to us. Yeah. Um, but we never, she said, well, you never really um, give us a lot of detail about that. Um, and I think that it's something that anytime you talk with any artist about anything or even yeah. media, media critic, they'll talk about their influences and their inspiration. That's sort of like the talk that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to take an opportunity to uh, delve a little more deeply into that. Because um, I think, at least, uh, you know, in my case, and I think Eli's as well, um, the things that we're influenced by as filmmakers were also very important for us personally, you right. know, growing up. Right. You know, and so in some sense today we're, we're telling a little bit of, of our story. Our own story, yeah. yeah. And I think today we want to tell a little bit of some of those stories um, as we talk about it. And also, one thing we don't talk about as much on this show is that we are filmmakers, and so when we talk about influences and inspiration, it's not just in the way that we talk about movies or TV shows or things, yeah. but it's about um, how we want to make films or make films or tell stories or write stories and things like that. Yeah. So that's kind of more the angle that we're coming um, at this with. And I think of it more as like the films and filmmakers who give me a new and unique view of life is often what sort yeah. of inspires me anyways. Uh, I wanted to to kind of start us off, um, talk about a recent experience I had where my wife and I got to go see Damien Chazelle, the director and mm-hmm. writer, in person, and he did a Q&A after his film La La Land at uh, the University of Wisconsin here in Madison. So I had already seen La La Land, and I wouldn't say that necessarily uh, he is like a big influence on me in any ways he's also a pretty recent filmmaker and you don't um, love musicals i do not i would yeah that's, i do that's a nice way but of, i know that that's do. a nice way of putting it yeah i i really don't enjoy them very much so it was surprising to me i think my first experience with him was with whiplash mm. and uh it, it was something that i was like interested to see but not like really excited about um, but watched it at home and was really wrapped up in the story of the film. And by the end, uh, I think maybe I've mentioned this, how it, for this like movie about uh, a guy, a kid trying to be a professional drummer, um, that it turns into almost like this intense thriller, um, this back and forth um, between um, the conductor and, uh, and the drummer. Uh, so it was, it was sort of like took me by surprise um, quite a bit how like wrapped up I was in what was going to happen at the end of this film. And so uh, I, I think it was due to his filmmaking skill, uh, both in the way that he shot it, um, very fast paced in the way it was edited, 
uh, which I've heard later took a lot of work um, to piece that together. So uh, I was impressed with that. And then La La Land, I was oddly intrigued with, even though it got all this attention for being like a classic musical. So I was interested to hear him talk about this. And I figured after those two sort of music-centered films that that was like his thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I just figured he'd always been a big musical fan. And that's just like the kind of films he was going to make. So it was interesting to hear him start to tell the story behind the film and field some questions about it. And his way into that was that uh, he started looking at some older musicals. And this was probably like, I think he said when he was in college, but he is not an old guy by any means, younger than, than us. And uh, he said he had not been a fan of musicals um, in the past, but he, looking at some of those classics, he thought they were sort of avant-garde in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like you get away with doing things in musicals that would seem really strange in a normal yeah. film almost like surreal not a place they, yeah i mean yeah. they many i mean you do burst into song in the middle of things right and exactly. a chorus of you know <laughs> fellow oklahomans join you right um, which is surreal by nature yeah i think it's fantastic <laughs> but it's not normally what you would encounter often my wife and i were talking we like watch some form of musical and she was like, what do you think? And I was like, that was pretty great, except for the uh, when they started singing um, those parts. And I, I always had trouble with the uh, bursting into song, honestly. Yeah. It had to like be motivated in the film. Anyways, I'm not going to go into why I don't like musicals. Let's say <laughs> it's not I what the show's about. But, uh, I often just don't also like the music in it. But I did like La La Land quite a bit, more than my wife, actually, who is a pretty big musical fan, much more than me. So it was, it was cool to hear uh, Damien Chazelle talk about his influences, and not all of them were musical. And I did get to ask him a question about if uh, he talked about all these other influences, whether it was avant-garde films from the past or uh, cinema verite type films um, that have kind of a looser style or some very stylized um, films as well. He kind of had both, and he, he referenced uh, Ernest Lubitsch classic films, which I do do enjoy, and also uh, like the French New Wave films. And mm-hmm. that, of course, piqued my interest because uh, soon after I got to go see this, we have the film festival in town, and I got to go see uh, Godard film, film about Godard. And, Uh, Damien Chazelle mentioned that specifically. So I got to ask him, you know, like, you've made these musical films. Is there anything else you want to do um, that you're interested in next? And so he surprised me by saying possibly a documentary um, that he was interested in making, but uh, something more straight um, avant-garde and not musical related Mm -hmm. is what he wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, So those ideas just kind of impressed me. And in general, it uh, inspired me in the way that he pulled together these influences. And I think a lot of people think that La La Land does some new things in the way it combines sort of modern storytelling or the modern world with these older styles, the way that he handled the, um, the set decoration and mise-en-scene mm-hmm. and the color coordination and things it's like that. That's all the words that you don't, with you, Eli. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that was something I didn't expect to hear from him. Um, and the way that he pulled those together. So it, it also sometimes I think I see some of these films and I think like, well, I can't, 
you know, borrow these things from other filmmakers. But once you kind of hear the filmmakers actually talking about it, it's like exactly what they're doing all the time. And I think we've even brought that up the way that uh, it's not really stealing. It's, it's what's always happened through history is that people borrow and mix other arts together. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, I, mean I think that like film is done filmmaking when you learn like the rule, basic rules of mm-hmm. camera work. Right. You know, in some sense, like those rules just come from like uh, thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of films that follow those rules. Right. But at the beginning, when there was like four, mm-hmm. you know, it was just what this one film did. And you know, yeah. and there's reasons and justifications and all sorts of right. larger explanations for why things are Mm -hmm. but um some of the you know the basic things about like shot scale and moving you know not moving too quickly through shot scale that is just Mm -hmm. replicated throughout almost the vast majority of films yeah um you know it's not you know it wasn't just sort of made up i mean it comes from uh how other people made films yeah i mean that is the sort of language of film that became established and i think that's one of the reasons bring it back to godard that Famously, Breathless supposedly broke all these rules. Yeah. Um, which, did, which certainly there were other films that broke the rules before that, but he's the one that sort of very intentionally said that he was doing that and uh, shook up sort of the cinematic language. And I think when I saw that film for the first time, it really introduced me to this other world of how early people were doing that because I was used to seeing new things um, as I was growing up, say, in the 80s or 90s, probably more the 90s, uh, when we had more of the indie scene happening. Yeah. But to see somebody doing it in the late 50s was really surprising to me. Yeah. And opened up uh, this world of, like, foreign film and things mm-hmm. that were doing unique things. So uh, I think Godard in general is a big influence for me. Um, yeah. Breathless, uh, Pierre Le Fou, Band of Outsiders. And... Uh, that reminded me of a mistake I made, including my influences in my work, was um, my thesis film for grad school uh, was feature length. And I kind of made the rookie mistake, even though I knew this happened, is like kind of throw everything into it. Right. Everything. All your ideas. And it sort of ends up being this like very messy, all over the map sort of thing that people can't really follow. Um, so it's got good pieces, but like as a cohesive whole, doesn't pull together. Uh, and and I think as I've sort of grown, and that was not that long ago, but maturing through some of those ideas and trying to focus them um, and get better at that, and using the right influences for the right story, yeah. also I think is really important. Uh, so my kind of way into this, and maybe you want to explain some of your um, concepts. But uh, I look for a unique perspective, uh, but also one that I can connect with emotionally. So it's not just looking for somebody doing something what I perceive as different or new, um, but I have to connect with it in a personal way, as you were kind of mentioning. Uh, Another way of saying that is that these are films that I end up watching to study them and how they pulled off the different experiences I had watching them. Uh, So they draw me in much closer to discover their secrets. Yeah. So we've recently talked about like Blade Runner and how I have to rewatch this uh, to continue to find the secrets inside of it. And I, and I like films that feel like there's more there to them. Um, and I'll get to that a little bit later when I talk about meta movies. But well, um, wasn't it I was, I was yeah. telling him, a good friend of mine, Bob, 
who mm. does not listen to our podcast. <laughs> um, uh, the, the basic concept for um, this film I've talked to you about that I'm working on, mm-hmm. which it loosely is referred to as the, the, the Land Without Song. It's sort of like okay, a, yeah. an interesting retelling of the Orpheus myth in which um, Orpheus, in fact, gets trapped in the mm-hmm. underworld and Eurydice has to go through uh, complicated things to sort of figure out how to um, take care of him. And also, in, in, in my version of the story, um, Hades isn't evil, um, though he mm. appears that way at the beginning. Yeah. Um, we learn, you know, it's also a way for me to talk about the, the complexities of religion and afterlife and mm. death as well. But so I was talking about, the, like, the, you know, the, um, the, I spent a lot of time, like, developing the, the, Sharon, the, the boatman's story and mm-hmm. why he is the way that he is. Yeah. Uh, one of my biggest influences in, in this is, um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman. There's, uh-huh. you know, um, the way in which I mean, there's there's a whole. I think it was a whole original uh, book um, about that, like uh, hell. Yeah. Because it's it's actually part of his domain, and the devil sort of essentially the large demon who's in charge of it gives it up, and he's no longer mm-hmm. be going to uh, be in charge of it, and mm-hmm. it's chaotic. Um, and uh, you know, um, the Sandman has to go and convince him to do his job. Yeah. And there's also these. Uh, characters in, in Sandman that are uh, very, very important. Um, the Furies, the mm-hmm. kindly ones, this mm-hmm. triumvirate of women who are both sort of uh, of many forms and crazy mm-hmm. um, and also like complete arbiters of justice. Yeah. Um, and I think what I like about what Neil Gaiman does with some of those like very ancient classic sort of characters is like brings them into like down to earth yeah and gives them real like background and emotions and character right. that you can relate to in a more human way yeah, yeah. makes them more human yeah and you're, um, and you're like they're like people you know or situations you can imagine you know it's not these grand stakes it's right know, which was always kind of my diff. Uh, the way that I had difficulty in connecting to some of those like classic yeah. Greek myths and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And I recently watched American Gods. I have not read the book. Um, but uh, I, I get that same sort of feel of like you don't sometimes realize who these people are, but they're you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, ancient you know, representation. Also, like when, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a wonderful one in which uh, there's like a multi-layered presentation of Midsummer Night's Dream involving mm. the actual characters mythologically yeah. who it's based on <laughs> you know and it's meta and wonderfully told and mm-hmm. you know probably one of um i mean certainly it, it's it's the one i think like complete book of the original series that is, is like that won most of the awards mm. and like when i like someone i'm sometimes when i'm teaching high school students uh shakespeare i'll mm. like just like read this read that. and then you we'll read the play it. yeah um, but so anyway, I told my friend Bob about it, mm-hmm. and the thing is like, oh yeah, I, what I really like about Jer- that Jeremy is it's, got, it's like a more complicated story than most films, um, <laughs> which was like, it was like, oh thanks Bob, I'm yeah. glad you don't really like my art. Uh, you know, he, 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 he was an English teacher for a long time. Yeah. He's a mentor of mine. He's a literary person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's I it, so um, I I do the films that I enjoyed as a kid. Mm-hmm. And the films that I still like as an adult and the ones that I get excited about sharing and showing with my kids yeah. are these stories that have, you know, that you, you, you can tell every moment in it has hundreds of different things. You know, mm. it's not just like there's a car racing and the car has to get to the place. And mm. once the car gets to the place, there's another place the car has to get to. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's like a, I mean, the, the best, the, some of the best movies that I like. Who, I mean, who cares what the goal is? I mean, we got to blow up the Death Star. Like, we have to blow <laughs> right, up the right, Death right. Star. But ultimately, it's about how we get there. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and what happens in the world we're in and all that sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, and and uh, one of the... Um, one of the like the first film that I ever made that wasn't a, like explicitly a student project mm-hmm. was like this short film called Building the Enola Gay. It was about um, it was ostensibly like a, a self confessional documentary about <laughs> my love of uh, military aircraft. Okay. When I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, you know, uh, intersperse sort of like information and facts about the Enola Gay uh, nuclear warfare. Mm. Um, and uh, Nazi propaganda in there, and 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 in so you were you were on camera talking about this. Uh, Some of it, yeah, sometimes, yeah, yeah, and and I, I dramatically uh, assemble and destroy a, a little plastic model of it. Okay. I used to build models of these yeah. when I was a kid. Anyway, so the main point of the story was like um, main point of the film uh, was that. Um, you know, like I had been as a kid, was taught to sort of love, or came to love these beautiful, magnificent technological wonders mm-hmm. um, uh, that had one purpose, which was to kill people. And like yeah. the, the killing of people had other purposes, like it, it saved people, it protected places. Mm-hmm. But like they didn't, you didn't use a Harrier jet to go and rescue people that are trapped on a mountain. Like right. you do it to effectively take off vertically in limited spaces and mm-hmm. shoot missiles and guns and kill people, um, people that are presumably bad. Right. Um, uh, and sort of that, that conflict was something that was, um, this is far before I was a parent, yeah. but it was like something that was always really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, because I, I sometimes didn't know how to feel about it. Because I'm like, yeah. I, I, I think like if I see the Harrier jet take off, which is, I mean, there's like this dramatic scene of me like me <laughs> watching like a PBS documentary of like the Harrier take off, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it can go from like horizontal to vertical at like, 10 feet off the ground or something. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, You know, a lot of this was done like like before complicated computers. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, anyway. Um, But then, still thinking like, but like, the things that like, you know, during my lifetime, like, they were bombing people all over Iraq. You know, and civilians. I mean, like, and, and the thing that always, I mean, I could talk more about like my views about the nuclear bomb, um, <laughs> which mainly killed civilians. Um, but there's like a, like a lot of like word like when I was a kid, I remember like getting the newspaper spread, which is also mm-hmm. which I which I actually saved mm-hmm. and have in this film of like the, it's like the it's like a map of Iraq with all these like bombs and symbols of like places were bombing, and I'm like yeah, yeah. sweet, and I was so excited. I'm like, but you know, and it, all the tactics of it was really mm-hmm. exciting. Um, but you know, as a as I came to political consciousness as an adult, I'm like, but those are all dead people. Yeah. And many times, dead people that have nothing to do with this conflict. Yeah. Like, if they were bombing right. gas depots in Texas, mm-hmm. um, we'd be up in arms about that. that is, yeah. That so, is a conflict we've dealt with as a parent. Yeah. Um, my son, oldest, was really into bombs as yeah. well when he was quite little. And now, you know, even, like, uh, guns from Star Wars, even, like, a blaster. Yeah. It's very, like, we had to have that conversation and be like, okay, it's fun to play, but, like, you understand this kills lots of people. The purpose of this is to kill people, which is a hard conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but the the very germ Mm -hmm. of that film was uh, this scene um, in a film called War and Peace by this Indian documentary filmmaker named Anand Patvartan. Who I think mm-hmm. is the best. I mean, I'm not he's one of the most. He's probably the most famous documentary maker in all of like uh, India at India. large. Mm-hmm. Um, has won 
numerous awards. Um, okay. Some he had to go to court to get because the <laughs> films are very political. Yeah. Um, and you know, and it's essentially like about the about nuclear war and about like the ways in which um, like India itself sort of celebrates and um, treats with re- religious reverence mm-hmm. uh, the nuclear missiles that they had built. Right. Um, you know, their two first were named Agni One and Agni Two. Agni is like this ancient Sanskrit word that just means fire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also used in epic and some of the classic in the epic poems to describe like uh, Agni is the god of fire. Yeah. And it's also like um, like Brahma, this sort of like very powerful mm-hmm. sort of like divine fire you can use all the stuff. <laughs> um, and there's a scene in there where he like goes to um, uh, I think the National Air and Space Museum mm-hmm. and uh, sees like a little model of the yeah. Enola Gay and it has a little plastic um, fat man mm-hmm. and little boy. Yeah. Um, in there uh, and you know and, and so that's something that like I loved growing up mm-hmm. and I was like disgusted at it and myself when I saw it in this film mm-hmm. in the context of like what this thing did yeah um, and, and you know and like as a filmmaker I was like oh my gosh like he's literally showing something that's, that I have seen hundreds of times that mm-hmm. is completely innocuous mm-hmm. in, you know in like in my general view of things yeah. and and had me look at it in a very different way like hmm. how like like do, do you think like children <laughs> in Nagasaki play with little you know like little toy yeah, yeah. little boys be like oh cool you know like yeah, but, but I do you know or right. I did right um, you know and so they're like I mean again like so this film that I made came directly from me watching someone else's film telling a story about um, you know in some sense like how how crazy the world is and mm-hmm. um, how we also don't often pay attention to that. Yeah. And it, you know, it sort of became, you know, this film. And I, and I talk about it in the film. I'm like, you know, like, that's, I mean, this film is not good or not <laughs> great. Um, I did have, anyway, so it's not great. I, I, yeah. I put my heart into it, but it's like very much like an experimental um, short film. I mean, mm-hmm. I, showed it, I showed it a couple places, you know, yeah. like it wasn't um, totally crazy, but um you know, it was like I I was trying to like further the inspiration that I had gotten from someone yeah. else. And you know, one of the things that I, I was just fun was I started working with this um, uh, musician uh, who I'd met through uh, the university at the time to do mm-hmm. uh, music for it. And I never mm-hmm. worked with like a composer before. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and like, and he composed this original score for it, nice. which was great. And yeah. I was like, oh, you know, and and, and also like. It was one of the first times. It was how I learned about like collaboration, mm. where like you know, sh- you know, like I didn't know there's so many roles in filmmaking. Yeah, right. Right? I wasn't sure like yeah. what role I ultimately wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I liked, you know, cinematography, making it. But I liked writing it most and mm. being like, here's an idea. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of going for this idea. Right. Um, you know, how can here's some how, what's your musical inspiration based on that? Right. And being able to say, oh, I like that. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you know, and the he also brought something to the film that I did not put in there um, by sharing with him my ideas, mm-hmm. and then he helps create part of the total mm-hmm. package. You know, in the yeah. this part of it in the end. Um, I remember. I mean, like I go far afield with things, but when I was studying dance, um, there's <laughs> a, a very uh, a famous sort of postmodern. Um, dance composer, many Merce Cunningham, many people know about him, but yeah. um, he would do like very. He would he would use like a computer program called Life Forms, I think, 
mm-hmm. um, to just randomize body postures mm. and like compose people. And he worked in his early days. He worked with John Cage, the famous composer. Yeah. And he would he'd be like he would tell John Cage like, okay, like we have a seven minute dance. Yeah. And then he would have his dancers do things, and then John Cage would make the music. And the when people saw it on stage, it was the only time that thing ever existed. Mm. Right? They didn't practice with it. Right, right. Um, and it, you know, and and the dancers didn't hear the music, and John hadn't seen the dancers, mm-hmm. so they created art. In, you know, it was this sort of this moment, totally yeah. unique thing, um, which I was sort of fascinated with. I mean, mm-hmm. some of it. I mean, it's, it's avant-garde, right? Some of yeah. it is like not super fun to watch, mm-hmm. but it's also completely unique. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always thought about that when working with this composer. It's like, you know, so you see some of this, but ultimately, like, I share with you an idea, mm-hmm. and then you translate that into some musical ideas, mm-hmm. and then we put this music and this visuals together yeah. to make something that I don't think either of us would have done on our own. Right. And I think that's some of the power of like film in general. Yeah. And as I progress from, like you said, maybe watching things that were um, a, a way for me to see a different world or live in a different world, like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings growing up, yeah. but then shifting probably like, you know, during film school or something, like learning like, oh, they can reflect much more of humanity and society yeah. than I expected. And I think part of that is maybe like any probably art form, just film happens to be the one that sort of uh, connects to me most. Yeah. But you start to learn, we were talking about that film language, you start to realize how that tells the story. And I think what I like about film is all those pieces come together, you know, the music, the editing, uh, like we said, like set design, uh, the visuals, I think the director has the ability to control well the uh, director and cinematographer together yeah um control the point of view that the audience is seeing um and that's a very powerful thing to have um to give somebody that that experience in time and so i think the the sort of collision the juxtaposition of all those things coming together it's like the big uh, word soup i know i know uh that you know it it can have very different effects yeah. um, on the viewer. Like, for example, uh, we talked about, um, or at least talked about Mother at the end of last year. Yeah. And just hearing even, like, very well-known critics have one strong view of what the film meant or what was happening, and then, like, another very reputable critic have a totally different view. And I think that's just really interesting that films can have those those two conflicting things so I think for me it was like a big uh moment of sort of like seeing influence was I'm gonna see this as an art form film and how it can be uh, manipulated in ways Mm -hmm. to tell me more than just like um a simple story in motion you know compared to other art forms we have um, a story in time compared to like art or music. Well, music yeah. is in time, but um, with the visual there, it's not just uh, hanging in a museum somewhere or something like that. Yeah. But it can have that experience. So I think part of that was uh, the sort of meta movies that were influential for me. So, you know, coming up in the 90s, early 2000s, um, Spike Jones um, was a big filmmaker mm-hmm. that I think was interesting for me. And at that time, I was also watching a lot of music videos, which he started out in. Yeah. And uh, was doing really unique things with uh, the media of, of film or um, video. 
And so when he started making films, um, I think I respected being John Malkovich, but uh, really the one that hit me was Adaptation, where it had so many layers to it to kind of pull apart. And I think certain audiences could enjoy sort of a wacky, crazy story of this uh, this character played by Nicolas Cage. But I think once you delved into everything around it, it just had so much meaning for me. So for, for example, I think this is almost the definition of extra textual when we talk about our show, that, you know, uh, they added in the film their Nicholas Cage plays twin brothers yeah and they are portraying the actual screenwriter mm-hmm. but who is only one person does not have a brother but they were able to get him written in as brothers writing the film on the actual credits and even at the Academy Awards they listed <laughs> two brothers as the writers of this it was mm-hmm. just like a a giant sort of inside joke because mm-hmm. um, he essentially wrote himself into the script yeah. that he was writing. So I just remember in the, I think it's the opening scene, Nicolas Cage playing the screenwriter is sitting in a, in a meeting pitching to like a um, agent, I think, uh, at this restaurant and he's uh, going through and he's trying to get a job for adapting a novel. And so he's telling her um, that he wants to not just, you know, adapt this book that's basically about orchids, but he wants to include the entirety of humanity, of the universe in this story, because he can't just contain, you know, like he thinks it represents all of that. And so we're kind of flashing through, you know, the beginning of evolution and birth and death, uh, all encapsulated in this, you know falling in love and all of that. So we kind of see that he's he's wanting to include all that. And then we also get these levels of he is an awkward, sort of nervous man mm-hmm. who, of course, in any meeting um, like that, is worried about like how his idea is going to be taken. Is he going to get this job? Um, are they going to um, go along with what he's trying to do? And then we get this other la- layer of him just being self-conscious of like, He's sort of attracted to this agent yeah. and what she thinks of. Right. You know, he's like thinks he's this schlubby old guy to her, and how are they gonna? How is she gonna take that? So I just identified, I think, with like all those levels of feeling like self conscious in those situations, mm-hmm. socially awkward, and then also trying to be like, I want to make great art. Like even if it's a small subject, this is my chance. I'm gonna yeah, throw yeah, everything yeah. into the mix. I mean, include all those things. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's some. I mean, I don't know like what prolific filmmakers do yeah you know or people that like have yeah. a career and they make films as their career which is not what i do mm-hmm. um but i mean there there have been hundreds of times when i'm like you know and i'm like okay you know like maybe uh, even like when i was making like my, my biggest film which was multico it's a mm-hmm. feature-length documentary about multicultural performing theater group here in madison which showed at the wisconsin film festival I was like, okay, you know, like, you know, like, you know, like there was, I had over 200 hours of footage. Yeah. Um, and I was like trying to like tell like the great the story of American <laughs> and how they relate with race. Yeah. You know, and they're just, it was just like day after day towards the end. I'm like, okay, like I'm not, I, I can't, I can't pour every element of mm-hmm. creativity I've ever had mm-hmm. into this tiny little canvas. Right. Um, but, you know, but so I choose to like what ones I want to do. Yeah. You know, and um, it's worthwhile to mention, I just want to tell the short story about like, I remember my friend Ryan at that time named Billsborough Koo, his name's, he's now Ryan Koo. He made this film called Amateur, mm-hmm. which originally 
debuted on Netflix. Watching yeah. it's about basketball is pretty awesome. Um, he, I remember, uh, he he was like one of my inspirations as a as a person. Like he was totally into film. Like when he showed up at college, and I was mm. like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I like Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I and, and like I, I had seen some, like, that, yeah, yeah, you know, I like, seen Goodfellas, and I'd seen some things which I was like, you know, mm-hmm. movies that sort of changed my life. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't have any sense of the craft or anything, you mm-hmm. know. Um, I remember like being made fun of in high school because I like Titanic, yeah, <laughs> which I think is still great. It's but, still pretty good, yeah. And there's always that guy in film school who like comes in. I like had a guy in my dorm floor, and he had like already a collection of the DVDs of all the great films. And I was yeah, like, I have anyway, so, not seen these. And he was like, "Oh, did you go to see Spillbound, which is this great documentary about?" Uh, spelling bee, yeah. you know, and I was like, like a documentary about a spelling bee, like <laughs> right, yeah. so boring. Right. Like when he's gagged me with the boredom, um, you know. I and I didn't see it. I mean, I, I saw it like maybe six months later or something. Right, yeah. It was like utterly blown away. <laughs> just, I was like, it was, it was so engaging. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, like I was like, you can't write. You like if somebody wrote these characters, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be as believable. Yeah, um, and they wouldn't be as lived in because mm-hmm. they're real. Right, you know. Um, and just like the design of, of how like the intertitles and subtitles you know, and like mm-hmm. things are used to convey information information like so succinctly and to divide the film mm-hmm. up into sections. Yeah. I mean like if you look at you, you watch Spellbound mm-hmm. and then you look at Multico, like so much <laughs> of the design elements mm-hmm. of how like the, the intertitles are used between the different segments, yeah. um, like the vertical mm-hmm. primary color lines. <laughs> I mean like the, it, you know, they're not stolen from Spellbound, but right. as I was doing it, I was like, Oh, like I want to have this there's also inspiration from multico itself because all the students had different colored shirts mm. um you know and so it, 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 yeah. yeah it takes an element of like them mm-hmm. but i mean you know like as i sat there and i was like trying to think of what to do i'm like i want to do it like this i'm like oh that's kind of like spellbound i'm like i'll do this do it this way i'm like that's kind of like spellbound <laughs> um you know and i was just like i couldn't find i was like this is just the way i know yeah. it begins no, but it's exactly the way they want to do it it's like a mm-hmm. great way to sort of um tell the story because i think right. when you one of the things that I, I think is a challenge of any documentary when you when you're showing a lot of people talking and mm-hmm. a lot of people in a room mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of um opportunity for like awesome cinematography right i mean you right. can, i mean like an, i mean uh, you know that can was be done, yeah. it can be done i mean yeah. like when i um there were some things that I, when i was shooting stuff from multico like i i had another person as part of my production company a wonderful man named joe sanchez who was um did um mostly camera for me mm-hmm. um but he also he spent a lot of years doing uh sports uh filming for yeah. the like the um the cole center here which is like where there are lots of hockey and, and basketball and stuff mm-hmm. and so he was like super quick at finding yeah. a, a, a good pleasing angle sometimes uh-huh. we'd go places and i'd like do the interviewing or the talking and i'd like set him up to do a, a set, you know primary or the secondary camera yeah. and we could get some cool stuff right but a lot of times it's people in the room talking Pretty straightforward yeah um, so, so oftentimes, like the, the little bit of graphics or font mm. and intertitles are the only way you have to convey visual style. Yeah. You know, do you want it to look clean or polished? Mm. Do you want it to, look, you know, like all that stuff is conveyed in a very sparse amount, like a very small palette. Right. Uh, and part of the canvas conveys yeah. those things. So I'm like, oh, like I, you know, like I find that I want to convey the same sort of. Um, elements of spellbound mm-hmm. you know like i'm mm-hmm. telling the story of a few specific children yeah um i want i want those i want to understand i want the story to be told as containing these various chunks which are put together to make a whole mm-hmm. um you know and so i this this film which i had initially was like oh my god you know it, beca- yeah. it becomes like the almost like the ur text you know as i work on this you know project that took me two years to do right 
And I think um, for me, again, like my pull has always been to, again, kind of messing with that film language and um, and the layers. I think I like things that sort of uh, spin my brain off into new ways. So like yeah. you said, you can't always include the entirety right. of the universe of thought into your film and everything. My, like my entire heart. Your whole soul into it, yeah. Um, but I think you can ideally make moments where it at least um, inspires others yeah. to at least explore other ideas or feel things that are sort of universally felt or even like um, uh, felt in very niche areas that person hadn't experienced in media before. That They're like, oh, I feel this way. I've never seen that um, portrayed uh, in film before. Uh, so I, I think I kind of came at some documentary stuff that like was a mix yeah. of maybe uh, either reenactments or yeah. using real things as inspiration. I remember seeing this, um, actually I don't know how I saw it, but uh, this uh, Japanese film called Afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was about sort of like this purgatory type place. And so they, the idea was when you, the sort of next phase of life, was uh, living your sort of best moment from life. Um, Like that was your afterlife is living. So like one person said like uh, Disney, going to Disney World. (laughs) So like their existence for eternity was going to be reliving that day. Um, So it it was a very grounded in reality. Like uh, they would make sort of reenact that moment and record it on video as sort of like a document of what it was going to be. And then they sort of... Um, enigmatically like passed on to whatever that was going to be but in making the film they interview they intercut real interviews with real people Mm -hmm. and ask them that question what would that moment be and then they sort of built these vignettes about these characters of what was going to happen around that Um, so I really like this idea of taking something real and um, building it into more of a narrative that was fictional and and definitely in this uh sense because they it was film sort of documentary style but they don't have cameras in um purgatory as far as i know and so uh you've been there i i haven't been there so i can't say maybe this is exactly what they do so that was a really unique um way of taking into it and i know there's uh abbas kiristami um, Iranian filmmaker made Close Up, uh, mm-hmm. which I actually only saw a few years ago, but also took elements of this real life incident and then cast the people that were actually involved in it to sort of reenact these moments. So I just love this way of making you think about, is this reality? Is this not reality? How is life sort of uh, um, an experience that's based mostly on our memories um, of things and subjective sort of experience of things, but also like the film medium, even in documentary is always subjective. You know, we're, we're placing cameras and lights in front of people and you're not gonna act the same as you would if there was no cameras there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I always like that commentary happening and even that it can be experienced on those different levels. So maybe people watching Close Up never knew that this was based on a real story or those are the real people. It's still a good story um, that it's telling, but if you have those other layers uh, to bring out, I think it it adds a lot more. Um, 
to it. And even, uh, this is probably not the greatest documentary, but it was one important in my life, is American Movie, Mm -hmm. um, which did happen to take place in Wisconsin, I believe. And it's kind of the cliche to some of the things I mentioned is like, uh, you know, people in film like movies about making films about the film industry. So this is uh, about um, a guy who is making his own indie horror films, very low budget, and he's just like quite a character. Yeah. Almost to the degree that you don't think it's real in some ways. Yeah. Um, Especially when he like denies that Coven is pronounced Coven. Coven, yeah. He calls it Coven. Coven, yeah. Uh, so yeah, these little factors, which it, it's it's kind of fun. It's a pretty funny film. Um, it's yeah. also sort of tragic. Um, tragic, yeah, for this for this character, and uh, that we see in the film. And, and so I think that does just um, bring up like how real is this? Is he acting because he's on camera? Is he sort of putting on a performance in some ways? Yeah. Um, and you know, he is a filmmaker. Uh, he's still so, around. Still around, yeah. Um, still makes films, so like is he certainly knows how films work. Um, so is you know how much of this is him yeah. playing things up? I mean, there's two things. Yeah. Two things about American movie. Yeah. One, um, the version I saw, like you watch American movie, and mm-hmm. then it actually has the the short his his film. Coven on it. Yeah. Um, and uh, having watched the film, and I mean, like at one point they they like. For those of you who haven't seen it, mm-hmm. they're doing this dramatic scene, like a fight scene with an actor that's, I think, a friend of his or maybe someone that they yeah. hired. And and it involves, like, smashing his head through, like, a cabinet door. <laughs> yeah. And they try to, like, score it <laughs> so it'll with break a saw easily. so it breaks more easily. But he bleeds all over the place. Right. Like, he, it won't break. They just keep slamming his head. Right. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my God. Oh, no. You yeah. Because you see this and them making <laughs> it. Um, but um, when you actually watch... The film, mm-hmm. it's like cinematically quite interesting, and and yeah. this, this like the the opening shot, mm-hmm. which we, you hear him describe this opening shot about this you know the city and yeah. all these how these trees are, mm-hmm. and you're like oh that, you know, that's interesting, but like when you actually see it, I'm like oh that's actually quality filmmaking right there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean I think the film brought up a lot of ethics too. Like yeah. it's definitely portrayed very much that this guy doesn't know anything that he's doing about yeah, this film. I mean, it's going it, to be horrible, and then you kind of watch and you're like. It, it's not he's as, got some talent. Like he, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I have two things. Um, I, I always feel like when there's a film about somebody that's really strange, mm-hmm. that it's exploitative. Yeah. Um, and and I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. Mm. Um, but you know, like I mean, uh, going to being a uh, film school here at the University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, uh, Errol Morris, who went here, is. Uh, is big people talk yeah. about him he comes back every once in a while you know mm-hmm. and I sort of like watched nearly all of his films over the course of my time here yeah. and I remember you know I was deeply influenced is that a, in, you know by like Thin Blue Line mm-hmm. um, which is like one of the first films to use recreation it's also the first film to show you how recreation can be misleading and right. and totally you Dissects know like that, I mean yeah. no and there's a great scene in there where you know you keep you keep seeing as they recreate this crime this mm-hmm. one type of car yeah, and then like you hear several different accounts of it, and then you just see the same recreation with seven, you know, different four cars. or five different models of car, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, like what do <laughs> I know? You know, and which right, is right. the exact point about That's it. The truth, yeah. Um, and I just like I uh, in, in in Thin Blue Line is about. I mean, it's it's a it's a much more straightforward documentary mm-hmm. than like Mr. Death or some of his other films, where right. like. You know, I, I mean, Aaron Morris doesn't make a lot of money. You know, like mm-hmm. he's not like a blockbuster filmmaker who's right. doing these things. Um, but I'm like, this is a horrible 
person or at least the person who's like you just presenting themselves mm. like a fool like right. we don't identify with mm-hmm. you know Fred Lutcher he's just a train wreck of a human being and we're yeah. watching that and I, like, I never felt good about that mm-hmm. you know and I, I mean Errol Morris uh, you know it, like one of the things that I think all good documentary filmmakers do mm-hmm. is like remind you that you're watching a film that they make mm-hmm. and some and, right. and this Indian filmmaker named Anna Patvartan who I sort of really love mm-hmm. he would always show you a shot of a boom he would all he, he would almost always show you a shot of him interviewing people usually yeah. in the middle of his film brings attention to the production yeah he's just itself, telling yeah. you what's going on mm-hmm. i mean and a lot of his films are um like a lot of early american documentary they're about issues of labor mm-hmm. they're about issues of minority rights um they're tributes for un, like unsung political causes mm-hmm. um you know and and he's just Telling you that he's doing this thing and shows it to you, yeah. and, and Errol Morris almost always does that too. Mm-hmm. He, you almost always hear him ask one question. Right. He'll like put his voice in there mm-hmm. to remind you that like that he's there and he's doing the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also like he's not. Um, you'd be hard pressed to find out what his opinion about any of this stuff is because it's right. not there. Right. You know, you know it's he's just people talking people about speak stuff. for themselves. Yeah. Um, and I guess I mean as much as I liked. A lot of Aaron Morris. I think I like his thoroughness and mm-hmm. you know the like the you know the thing called the teletron you know the the interrotron right which um, which allows people to sort of look right at the camera you know mm-hmm. I, I like the way he capped he turned like a talking head interview into this you know yeah. multifaceted thing but I never really wanted to make films like him mm. you know it's like I I would be I'd be kind of happy to make a story about how horrible this man was who manufactured. Um, you know, like machines that kill people in prisons, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't interview him about it. Mm. I would just make the film about my opinions or other people's opinions about his thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know if that makes like what that necessarily says about him or I. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're just like even when he did um, some of his other films. I mean, some of them are fairly relaxed about there's something weird somebody does. Yeah. But it just felt like. So would you say you like appreciate more of his technique? Then yeah, I appreciate his, his technique. Definitely... I also like his his thoroughness. Mm-hmm. Like he he makes sure that he tells you the story, mm-hmm. and it, it's not like you're not usually left wondering, right? You know, um, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also like that he you know he does like in the thin blue line, like he makes fun of the people that say that line, and and it shows you from beginning to end that the police officers are not reliable in this right. particular case, right? right? And it is about that this man is innocent of a crime, and he's very clear about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I like that. Um, but there was, yeah, there's always something about the subject matter that always felt exploitative. Mm. Um, in that, like, I couldn't uh, imagine myself choosing to make a film about someone like that <laughs> you know right um but again i mean uh but the idea i mean and i don't i don't know what like because i learned because i watched thin blue line early in my sort of like career as an academic mm-hmm. i don't know what a whole lot of people say about it yeah um but i can say as a like a viewer mm-hmm. it just um it's one of those films that sort of highlighted all the things you take for granted yeah. Um, especially in like sort of this hybrid documentary format, person talks about something, then you see it, mm-hmm. and even though you know it's a recreation, yeah, um, it it is an image on the screen, just like this real person is an image on the screen, and there's some sort of a reality to it. Yeah, 
Um, and the only way to reveal that is to sort of mess with it like he does in the film and say, you really know that? Yeah. And then you're like, we actually have no idea. Right. Um, and, and I always, I mean, I, I don't think deconstruction for deconstruction purposes always awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this takes apart something that was important. You know, like there was a yeah. story created about what happened. Um, but if you really interrogated it, you found that it was not the truth. Right. Uh, and that's something that, but of all the stuff that he did, mm-hmm. that's what I liked the most. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like, I always have this, I don't entirely know why, this is like fierce commitment to the truth. I just, I think it's that, <laughs> like it's, if you don't have that, like what, you don't yeah, live yeah. in then the world. Really, I mean, you yeah. can do it, I mean, it doesn't, what, 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 what matters? Yeah. Because um, it's, it's often hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's often like, you know, like when Christ was tempted in the garden or when the Buddha was tempted when he was, you know, seeking enlightenment. There's always like a really easy but completely false way out before you get <laughs> before to the hard know. truth, yeah. which I think is something that um, is like something that is true about life mm-hmm. um, and that is present, you know, in that film as well. Yeah, and I was going to say for uh, those of you interested and not familiar with Errol Morris, he recently had the miniseries Wormwood on Netflix, a Netflix series. And so you can definitely still find um, Thin Blue Line for sure, and I would yeah. recommend those older films, but... Uh, I think it's interesting to see this modern version of what he's doing similar yeah. is that it he almost frames like these stories of the people he's interviewing as like a um, political thriller or something yeah. like sort of heightens uh, the the reality of the experience um, in a very cinematic way and I think he's grown in his visuals even yeah. um, with the team that he has. So it's it's interesting to kind of see him at this end of his career, um, and not the end of his career, but yeah, the um, back end of his career that uh, he's doing similar things and maybe even heightening them even more. But I think he definitely always knows what he's doing and trying to accomplish. Yeah. Well, I just um, I mean he also like the little bit that I've read about is mm-hmm. like the way he produces things. Um, I mean, like when I shot Maltigo, I had a two like a two hundred to one ratio. Yeah, and his is usually never that high. Mm-hmm. But he has a lot of footage. Mm-hmm. Like he always spends a lot of time gathering, a, you know, like yeah. a massive a of wealth of footage, and then cutting it. You know, like spending a lot of time choosing exactly what he does. Even mm-hmm. though if you watch it, it seems like it sort of flows yeah. almost sort of seamlessly from piece to piece. And so that that I also really appreciate. And I think yeah. that you can tell. And there are many other documentaries, even like ones that win awards, where I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you are stretching. Some of this is stretched pretty thin. Yeah. You get from point A to point B there. Right, right. You know, and like between the segments of the film, the gaps are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like with his, I mean, like he could he could make it four hours long. He got enough to do that. Yeah. And one thing I noticed with Wormwood is that uh, at least now he like some of the interviews must have had like three or four cameras. Yeah, running yeah. at different angles and so yeah. like one is like in the next room over like looking through like this window yeah. or engine or something yeah. and like one very close so like yeah no he yeah. um the, the, I mean somebody who knows better could probably talk about it but yeah. I mean I, I, I do know that for some of his interviews he will have like the sort of bank of cameras mm-hmm. and there'll be like different qualities sizes zooms yeah. lenses right. you know like old things new things you know and so he stuff, yeah. you know he'll have 12, 13 shots <laughs> right, of this person and then you can cut you know the angle Cause, and that's one of the ways he makes it interesting right. and that's something that like I've done you know I'm like yeah. it's, when I'm like a one man with a camera in a place I'll set up three of them mm-hmm. you know gather right. quality audio on one of them and just have alternative angles for the other two right um, 
Which is like, in some sense, like for people that don't love Errol Morris, it's some manner of overkill. But I'm like, do you want to cut away? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. to the same person to, talking? Like, right. let's make it interesting. Let's make it interesting. Yeah. And I think that leads into somewhat. Um, one thing I like about sort of the acting style that I go for when I make yeah. films is, I think, influenced by the sort of truth I see in sort of documentary. Um, what documentaries capture of people and want to experience that. So I've definitely never been into the like sort of mumblecore movement that was popular a few yeah. years ago, but um, sort of on the fringes of that, because um, I don't think mumblecore is very like cinematic, and that sort of bothers me about it. Um, but a filmmaker like David Gordon Green, who which has gone through different phases of his career, is currently uh, remaking Halloween. Um, coming out soon but his very first films George Washington and um, All the Real Girls had this sort of aspect of people sort of talking almost at this different pace or like hardly saying anything that you would think is like furthering the narrative you know mm -hmm. or like furthering the story but is sort of like so um so much keeps my attention that I sort of want to know what's going to happen in these very like microscopic ways yeah. of like interaction. It's George Washington about like the young kids and the one kid who like wears the helmet. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I like that there's certain performances in those two films which are non-actors, and I think he set up certain moments where uh, he will place an an actor with non-actors and sort of like capture it in a documentary sort of way yeah like they have prompts but they sort of um go off it's not like yeah. scripted and some of the rest is scripted uh so i really was kind of into that style um because i think it, it got to sort of this authenticity in the yeah. acting and the way um uh sort of a looseness in the style of the way they acted that you know certainly i, I like very scripted films otherwise too mm -hmm. um that have great written dialogue like Aaron Sorkin or something like that. that yeah. Characters are just rattling off, but I don't think that's very much like in reality. Um, but what I like about David Gordon Green's early films too is they're also very like poetic. There's also segments where there's no talking and yeah. you're just seeing sort of people live their lives. There's a lot of like slow motion um, yeah. in certain parts uh, that you see. So uh, I think those things again like almost draws attention again to the medium itself yeah um but there's uh but there's a lot of sort of poetry um in the films as well so i think that's one thing for me that i've i've tried to attempt is i haven't always like written all of the dialogue for my um films yeah. but tried to give the actors some freedom to explore and make it sound um, sort of sound natural. And there's some dangers in that um, of sometimes it's harder to find your story um, directly because yeah. it's a little too loose. But those are those are things that I've I've tried to see. Um, and some another big one is Lost in Translation. Um, I think was a big influence for me when I first saw it, and that's when I was like in film school. And I, I didn't feel like I had seen something like that in that same way that sort of captured a mood and a tone um, that I just sort of sort of wanted to like marinate in that sort of nighttime insomnia vibe. 
um, of what was happening. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that sort of dazed, half asleep, um, half awake sense that the film gives you, um, I think was a combination of music, which I just, uh, Kevin Shields from um, My Bloody Valentine was called in to do the music after not doing things for a long time. He used some of his and uh, just had that sort of fuzzy um, sense to it as well that the film had. And it was also funny, but I felt like it wasn't like the same kind of acting that I've seen in other films. Very natural Bill Murray performance. Um, yeah. He wasn't sort of like on all the time. Uh, yeah. He seems, <laughs> actually seemed tired um, and didn't know how to, how to act sometimes uh, with some of these situations. But still like had these ups and downs of like they would go out and party at night and it was very exciting and then you have sort of these down quiet moments and uh somewhat had like a documentary feel we took a moment to like see scarlett johansson's character like do a flower arrangement without any dialogue you know very quiet um things too so i think that film was also something that i wanted to capture like some of those pieces you can't sort of find I think when you have it scripted and planned and I yeah. think from that film I could see that they took the time to be like oh hey we didn't expect uh, this to happen in this setting let's just go with it one time Bill Murray's like in a um, clinic or something that he goes to and there's just like a guy sitting there and they like try to have this cross cultural cross language conversation and ends up being sort of funny and um, awkward and stuff so I think those are great moments and some of the best moments I found when I'm filming that you just know it sort of clicks are not usually the ones that were scripted um, but that we sort of like discovered in the moment or uh, sort of came up with um, at the last minute when we needed to fill in something um, to come together so uh, I like that being inspired to sort of um, be open to those moments mm-hmm. enough to be able to find them. But, uh, and, and, you know, I could talk more about sort of like what I sort of call like tone poem films or yeah. like tone films, but I've talked about him before. Um, Terrence Malick is uh, infamous for shooting tons and tons of footage. Um, the other, not the thin blue line, but the thin red line. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the actors would talk about they're shooting a scene and like doing their lines, and he suddenly like tells the cinematographer, like, uh, can you shoot those birds in that tree over there? Just kind of get some of that. Um, and they're like, don't know what's happening. Um, you know, famous actors get cut out of his film um, often, like completely, like mm-hmm. thought they were going to be a big part of it, and then just get cut out in the editing sequence. So, he just shoots lots of footage and doesn't totally know the story he's going to get um, in that film. So I think that's kind of a combination of like documentary and narrative film sort of put together. Uh, and I think he finds some of the most like beautiful moments in film uh, that come together to be able to see those. So, um, yeah, like the Tree of Life also expands on that idea like it does almost talk about like the creation of the world Mm -hmm. and then has this very small story of one family and sort of the tragedy they go through and so you see both perspectives on it um other ones we've talked about recently solaris i don't know if you've watched that yet i had the criterion dvds on my desk no problem and uh 
I don't know if you've seen The Limey, the Steven Soderbergh yeah, yeah. movie. Um, I like the way that that mixes, um, plays with editing to play with time. Mm-hmm. Like it jumps, uh, cuts between different time periods and doesn't really acknowledge it. Doesn't like give you uh, title headings to tell you this yeah. is two years ago. This is five hours later. Mm-hmm. Um doesn't really hold your hand to be able to show you those things and also kind of like a gritty crime story is really good Mm -hmm. uh and then paul thomas anderson films the master your favorite there will be blood uh that that whole whole segments where people are hardly talking but you just you don't know what's happening (laughs) why it's important (laughs) why it's important yeah i'm still not sure i understand the master completely but i'm still mesmerized by by watching it um, well, yeah. I mean, I want I mean, Lost in Translation. I mean, this conversation is kind of like we love film. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, one of the things that I liked about Lost. There's many things I liked about Lost in Translation. Yeah. One, um, uh, Sofia Coppola, right, is mm-hmm. in charge of some stuff, and like we have like from the, is like, I think it's the very beginning, like the opening shot. And I talked about this before, but like. We like pan down and we stop at like Scarlett Johansson's waist. Yeah. We don't go all the way over the butt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. I'm definitely Different watching something that I haven't, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, because and it was like, you know, and, and you know, a huge effect of that, right? Like, oh, like yeah. this is a person. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting, like, you know, from the very beginning, like this is an interesting person, yeah. and the the film treats them as an interesting person, mm-hmm. and I, and like even just that subtle element. Um, but I mean, I had, I had one professor in, uh, you know, in, in uh, when I was learning about film here at the university yeah. that, like, I mean, she described, like, all of her shot skills essentially about female anatomy, mm-hmm. you know, you know, it was like, in relation to the chest, you know, yeah, relation, yeah. you know, like, you know, which is not an, in an appropriate way to think about it. Yeah. Um, if you look, if you watch films that yeah, women yeah. are in. That's what, yeah. The other part, and so there's a lot of, like, very intentional, like, you know, when you use a camera mm-hmm. and you and you show that image, there are four lines. You have the mm-hmm. you have the you have the box that is made by this viewing screen, right? right? right. And and I just feel like there's so much use of mm-hmm. those lines um, mm-hmm. in that film, yeah. As they move, as they pan, mm-hmm. how they frame things, mm-hmm. you know, and like the, the numerous times that we get shots of that dreamy um, hotel bar, yeah. You know, it has this like Nighthawks sort of feel to it, you know, and yeah. and the you know the lighting in it is great, you know. It's like mm-hmm. mainly washed, it's mainly dark, but there's a yeah. little brown, some orange. Um, I like that stuff. Great color in that film, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know, it reminds me, you know, like we haven't talked about it yet, but it reminds me of like the Wong Kar Wai films, mm-hmm. um, and there's also like all the cultural interactions, and yeah. you know, and it's like. The Japanese in the film are very different mm-hmm. than the Americans, and mm-hmm. we don't really know what we don't really get behind. We like there's a lot of stuff that's that not subtitled. Yeah. yeah, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And like having been in a foreign place, that's mm-hmm. kind of, that's what it's that's like. like yeah. You know, like you're there, mm-hmm. they're there. Yeah, you are saying words. <laughs> right. You are attempting to communicate with each other, mm-hmm. but it's not just language, mm-hmm. right? There's a whole lot of like that cultures are actually different yeah. people want expect different things mm-hmm. um you know and you know it's being called lost in translation right so that's yeah. part of the subject matter but you know i haven't really i can't really point to another film that does it that organically mm-hmm. where it's not like you know you know like some sort of love story across cultural lines or some mm-hmm. sort of crime across cultural lines yeah. where like you know everyone's kind of the same anyway they just use different words i mean like mm-hmm. these are like especially that like intensity scene yeah um, which i just <laughs> 
love. Yeah, you yeah. know, like sure, in the commercial, intensity. yeah. You know, and you're like, he just gave like a impact, like the director, a very uh-huh. impassioned discourse about something. <laughs> right. And we get intensity. Right, right. You know, and I'm like, that, yeah. I don't speak Japanese. I don't know what he said. Right. Um, uh, you know, I just, you know, like that, and that moment feels very like documentary esque. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it doesn't. Just the way it's shot, yeah. it has much with a verite look, as you right, mentioned. Right. You know, it's not we're not like following the dramatic cues of mm-hmm. various things. It's just we're watching, like, like you know, a little handheld sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and sort of I love that about it. And I don't, I mean, you know, if I ever did a shot in a hotel bar, it would probably you know, probably look just like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like. Uh, I think also maybe it was one of the main like grown-up films. Yeah. That I saw, like, I mean, I had seen a lot of films before that, but maybe, like, when I was becoming an adult mm-hmm. and understanding that, um, like, Scarlett Johansson character, like, why is she so melancholy and sort yeah. of sad and um, not satisfied, like, in a new marriage, like, kind of exciting new place. And so coming to terms with, oh, you can tell stories about where things are not all spelled out and yeah. the characters themselves don't even understand like what they're feeling completely or what's happening. Yeah. Um, and we get like the two points in life of like a young person entering sort of marriage and a, somebody who's not real happy in his marriage, but had a full it's, life. It's, and it's, doing it's venerated everywhere right, for right. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how you can still not feel fulfilled in that. Uh, so I think, uh, for me, it was also seeing that. And then, like, these little points of mystery, which maybe seem sort of, like, um, pretentious now, but where uh, something is whispered and we don't hear what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, like, uh, it was just kind of, like, a cool little thing then that I like those little, like, uh, mystery pieces in something. That is also, again, using the medium yeah. um, to say, like, we intentionally held back uh, give you like street noise, city noise, so that you couldn't hear it, which again is sort of like a documentary right. way of doing things, um, which they didn't have to do. Of course, they like redub uh, the actors' voices and stuff. So um, yeah. I, I like those little touches, however sort of pretentious they may seem reflecting back on them now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I There's also some things you can't do. Mm. Right? Like, could. Were they really up to writing that sentence of dialogue? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Maybe I think, they didn't have anything, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to ask you, you mentioned Scorsese early yeah. on. Um, as sort of maybe like an early film, like Goodfellas, that you, yeah, you mean, saw as maybe very like cinematic. Okay, and, yeah. yeah. I mean, like my, my love and appreciation for the movie Goodfellas is like far before I knew anything about film. Mm. Um, and, you know, and I, you know, like, and, 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 you know, you learn it in film school and then, you know, in any, when you get more into films, yeah. like, there's like all kinds of rules that Scorsese breaks them. It's like, here's how he breaks all those rules. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but in a, I mean, I don't know that like, I mean, once I got into him and I started mm-hmm. watching his films, you know, like from Mean Streets onward, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, like, I like a lot of the stuff that he does. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, like subject yeah. matter, all these complex morality things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, like Mean Streets is one of my favorites. Yeah. And like early on, is stuff about like stewardship and religion is great. Mm-hmm. But when I saw Goodfellas, I mean, there was like there there are a couple things that sort of um, stuck out. Mm-hmm. One, like what I really I mean, is like is 
when they're in the prison and they're like talking about what it's like in prison and it's this like kind of montage mm -hmm. you know they're talking about they're, but it's like these broken apart things like there's people mm -hmm. then there's frying garlic then there's more people <laughs> then there's the room there's the chair and all these sort of it's not quite uh, montage because they're not necessarily separated in time right the way montage is and it's not necessarily supposed to like you know have the same function of getting from mm -hmm. point a to point b by mm -hmm. taking out like the the inner you know like just focusing on the the plot but not the story right. Um, and I, you know, like it just seemed how you tell a story, mm. right? Like if you're talking about, if somebody's talking about something, you show that thing. Right. And you don't need to like move through shot scales. You don't need to like not violate the 90 degree rule or 90 mm -hmm. degree rule. You don't need to like bring us into a scene. You just mm -hmm. show us a thing. Yeah. And you know, I loved it. And then, then there's like the, and it, you know, and so there's, there's that frenetic mm -hmm. way of telling stuff. Right. That he also does. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you also have like the long shot, which is like, you know, like, and I, I didn't entirely understand all that, what that mm -hmm. was about. But I'm like, they did turn, they turn the camera on when he enters the back of that place. Yeah. And they turn Just it off yeah. when he does. And I'm like, that is, you know, like, that must have taken forever. Right. Um, right. And also, like, like, every second that it goes on, I mean, the, I mean, mm -hmm. it, I didn't know anything about film. Yeah. Um, and I was like, just spellbound. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I go back and we'll just watch that. Right. You know, I, uh, when I was teaching uh, film to college students, um, I gave them this project of shooting one shot for one minute was like the whole film. Yeah. And so I would show them examples before that. And like, it was so fun to be able to analyze a scene like that when they walked yeah. in. Because at first you think like, this is just like showing off. It's kind of this bravara um, use of cinematography. But then you start thinking about it and it's all you know, uh, motivated yeah. um, for the story. And even like, you know, I don't even know if all of it is intentional, but when they first go down the stairs, it's like this red lighting. Yeah. It's like there's sort of, he's like pulling her down into the mm -hmm. underworld of sort of like this hell that's going to be their life later that they're yeah. pulling him in. And then also just showing his uh, power and influence that he's growing. Because they, they bring the table out her. for it. Yeah, and he kind of knows everybody, gets in the back yeah. door. So it all is very strongly motivated. It's not just showing off. So yeah, like yeah. that just sort of like things like that blow my mind. Like yeah, because I mean you thinking on all these levels when he did this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, and uh, you know, like Robert Altman has a lot of like long takes, mm -hmm. some of his stuff, which I mean, his his films are more tongue in cheek. That they don't have yeah. the same like seriousness to the Scorsese films do. Mm -hmm. You know, and some of that I think is showing off. Yeah. And some of it's still amazing. You're like, right. how did everybody yeah. get that right? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, also Goodfellas, I mean, Goodfellas is one of those films that like, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, the, the film equivalent of like, waking up early, going <laughs> to the gym, coming home, taking care of your children, getting mm -hmm. them to school, cooking a healthy breakfast, cleaning up your house, and sitting down at like 10.30 a.m. <laughs> already having done everything you need Depends to do. It. It's just because like, cause it tells a story of a, like a, a whole so life. Much, yeah. you know, And it's not mm -hmm. just the, the person, like one person's life. It's the life of, like a, of a whole community. Right. Um, and the comprehensiveness of it, you know, it seems like it, it, you know, it feels sometimes like The Godfather, like it's 17,000 hours. <laughs> right, right. But it's not. It's um, and it's it's really efficient. And when I watch it, it's like I realize that there are points where it's just so dense, where it has this sort of like, you know, near montage mm -hmm. style of stuff. Right. Where you get like, and those are my, my favorite parts. You get mm -hmm. all this 
stuff that happens, you know, and, yeah. and it's like, it's just, it, it does get you from one point to another, but it also like just tells you so much information. There's so mm-hmm. much characterization, like yeah. you learn about the people right. when they're doing those. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, like, I mean, I just, I don't even remember when I first saw it, but it was like, I saw yeah. it and then I saw it again. And I was like, have you heard of this movie? I'm from Goodfellas. Like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I also like hadn't seen a lot of, um, Good, arty, I mean, yeah. or like you know, films with right, whatever you know, yeah, yeah. um, because it just wasn't part of like my world when yeah. I was a kid. But I like because I, I saw this film and I was like, oh my god, you know, like this guy's the greatest filmmaker who's ever made a film ever, and I just <laughs> right. loved it. Um, I think uh, maybe Taxi Driver was a little more influential for me, but I still loved Goodfellas. Um, for a lot of the reasons you're talking about, and I think in general, like the energy that he conveys yeah. through, again, like that cinematic language mm-hmm. is just like something to admire so much. I mean, obviously, like when you hear him talk, he talks, you know, 100 miles per hour. So like he's infusing that probably into his work yeah. all the time and that energy and excitement for mm-hmm. for film. But uh, just like I think other people try to mimic it, his like style yeah, too. You, you, you and know, it doesn't work. It, yeah. it doesn't work. Um and you know, uh, I I have to admit, you know, like his his rapid sort of like what I call like push-ins on characters. Yeah. Like you just come in, and other people use that, but and I, I tried to do it in our film. We're still trying to edit, but uh, at a moment, but it, like Try, we are editing it. It's just taking longer than. We're yeah, doing. that's right. Yeah, we're we're, do, we're getting there, uh, but it like pulls you into the characters in that very precise moment. Yeah, I think. Um, to, to highlight something, but he does it so effectively. Um, that's just little things like that. And I think some parts in Goodfellas, like you're talking about almost like montages, but you're like, man, there was so much creativity and ingenuity in like five minutes of that sequence that yeah. you see in like a whole film. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, films, and it, you, know, like, you know, and watching it, having seen it many times, mm-hmm. there are the points where you're like much of the, you know, like the film is kind of like uh, subdued or like mm. it's under wraps. Yeah. You know, like we're, you know, we're moving from a person to a scene. And then when you get to these sequences, like when the prison is just like, all right, you know, yeah, like, just burst yeah, you just like, you throw the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the training wheels off mm-hmm. or the, you blow the top off the roof right. and just do whatever you want, you yeah, know, yeah. and, you know, and, and what's there is great. Yeah. And he's not going to waste a shot. No. Like, uh, everything that he does is like thought through. Um, be able to do that i think taxi driver it was a little bit more again of like that mood and i think i took a class on um it was like we covered two directors for the whole semester Hmm. and uh, one was scorsese and one was bernardo bertolucci and uh the professor was like um not like directly from italy but it was italian so Mm -hmm. he had this sort of heritage connection to it uh that he seemed to really play up try to play up but uh you know it was like we like to make film school sound hard when we just like sit and watch movies sometimes all afternoon but like it was in that you go into that darkened room and i was usually really sleepy oh yeah no it, i was it, like yeah, life yeah. was so busy then uh yeah but like that that opening shot of like taxi driver where it's like this gritty street yeah and he comes through like this like smoky uh, his yeah. taxi comes through this like smoky and slow motion and you get like uh, the jazz music from it um, that he talked Bernard Herman into writing coming out of retirement to do and so like 
it just like sets the tone so perfectly. Um, and then you get sort of like these classic film type feeling and then you get really gritty things like at the end where everybody's shooting each other. And uh, I think it was that contrast of like the brutality that he brought to it, the realism, and then with yeah. these sort of like other very classically made yeah. forms um, and the way that he shot it. And again, I, I think it's that contrast, whether it's documentary elements with like fiction or the sort of um, high energy uh, with these sort of more slowed down <coughs> classic film elements, <coughs> excuse me, with Scorsese, uh, that, that I really like um, the intersection of that sort of contrast yeah. that you get because it brings out, brings out new ideas. Um, um, but I'm always interested in what Scorsese does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we should we should get close to wrapping up part one of influences. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say uh, there's another. Uh, I don't know if it's a good ending point for mm-hmm. this part, but um, uh, another Scorsese film, uh, Hugo. Yeah. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Um, there's all. If you haven't seen this, film, read the book too. Oh, I don't know. you're very academic. Yeah, yeah. it's mostly picture. It's a picture book. Oh, really? If you know that. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, if you haven't seen Hugo, it's awesome. It's like it's, it's a kids movie, mm-hmm. um, but it's also like a, a wonderful uh, movie about movies and film, yeah. which in general I don't like. Mm. But I really liked Hugo, mm-hmm. um, mainly because it it talks about like uh, the character in there, uh, George Melier. Melier, yeah, yeah, Melier. Yeah, uh, you know, like he he uh, did a lot, like some of the all the early famous. Um, uh, films, uh, early films, films, films yeah, you yeah. know, like very early. But he talks about how, um, like the the language, like the, the medium of film is like the language of dreams. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and he's also sort of like uh, unappreciated, mm-hmm. but also prolific. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and there's a way in which like it, it captures that without being pretentious, mm-hmm. which is part of my problem with most films about films. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe it's because it's a kid's perspective. Maybe it's because it has this sort of interesting science fiction element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I really liked it, mm-hmm. um, and it's. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if you can, if I would say you could tell it's Scorsese, yeah. but you can tell it's made by someone who loves film. Hmm. And who loves an like an excellent, high quality, yeah. visionary film, and, mm-hmm. and the Hugo itself is one. Mm-hmm. Has these interesting and nice um, interlocking stories. Mm-hmm. It also, I mean, has this this story which, you know, you think you're l- learning about this kid, and you end up yeah. there's this whole other story mm-hmm. um, that's going along with it, and the way they interconnect is really interesting too. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean. I don't know that a superlative is necessary, but um, of of all of the people that I know, like the filmmakers, famous or not famous, who uh-huh. make at some point in their life a film about film, yeah. Hugo's my favorite. Mm. You know, and I think that, um, you know, and, and because it has all these sort of classic tropes of individuals, it mm-hmm. has a, um, you know, is in some sense a story within a story. Yeah, and, and it talks about, I don't know it. Like when when we were talking about the shape of water, there's mm-hmm. this sort of like, in a I mean like a, a veneration of early American Hollywood mm-hmm. um, that I just don't share, mm-hmm. you know. And, it, and it's not because I don't like musicals. It's yeah. like there's a lot of films that I don't, especially during the age of um, like the production code, mm-hmm. uh, that like I, I can't look at them neutrally 
a neutral a neutral way politically. Mm. And I don't find them particularly interesting because they're so like in, in the age of like the high age of studio production. Mm-hmm. There's so much drivel. It's yeah. like it's the same crap. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like I love myself a screwball comedy. Yeah, yeah. A couple, you know, his girlfriend. You know, there's a couple things in there mm-hmm. that are okay, um, but to think, but and, but to look at you know these very very early silent films, mm-hmm. um, which I, again I don't have much connection with, but yeah. to see how um, you know uh, you know George has this grand vision of how this new thing. Mm-hmm. Can can you 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 can tell stories you could right. never have told before because you have the medium because you can show things you know mm-hmm. and you can create the illusion of something. Right. It's something that like I um made me uh, appreciate the wonder of film. Yeah. Um, in a way that I hadn't in you, know, you know like there's other there's plenty of other films mm-hmm. that do something like that. Right. But I don't think anyone do yeah. quite as well as that. And so it's 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 you know like. My friend Ben, who would teach a, a film class, would always have the first film be like a film about film. Uh-huh. If I ever taught that course, it would be Hugo. Hmm. It would be like the first thing that we watched. You know, in yeah. some sense, to sort of um, bring everyone into the just in some sense, like to take a minute and say, like, look at how awesome it is that we can visually present things yeah. in this. You know, and and for George, in this way that that it, that evokes the. The space mm-hmm. or the the idiom of dreams. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and then you also get you know film history included in it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I know, I know Scorsese is a big uh, proponent of restoring old films yeah. before we lose them. So I kind of always thought that was like his argument for like bringing it to wider audiences. Yeah. Like, see the amazing things in these old films. We need mm-hmm. to like remember this and yeah. preserve it and show it to people. But um, yeah, I remember seeing it. I didn't know he was going to spend that much time on that segment yeah, of it. I mean, it's and like so a, I was like, this is great for film there. It's like, yeah. this is the best. <laughs> like, like, we know some of this, but like other people didn't know this. Yeah. This is great. Um, and portrayed in like this, this lively way. Um, yeah. Energetic way. So, yeah, I mean, I could talk a lot about uh, Scorsese and uh, his films, but... Another time, probably. Yeah. yeah. We should wrap up part one here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks for listening. I feel like this is a little bit of like, um, you know, like hip-hop artists always kind of have to have like their influences song. Like, yeah. we're going to name these guys that came before and we're playing off. Yeah. And that's this is like our greatest hits of like what I listen we're going to call attention to. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been Extra Textual and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.